I'm Oliver Bruce, dyslexic and dyspraxic serial entrepreneur with little more than one GCSE, but none of that matters. And that is exactly why I started this podcast. I've built multi-million pound businesses from just an idea, and I've gone into markets that I've got no right to be in. It's not always plain sailing, and what you see on social media is often a fraction of the reality. I somehow wanted to tell the candid truth the story around startup and scale-up life, and just how important mental agility and strength is in this largely idealistic and fake world. I hope you enjoy my podcast and can take some solace and some learnings from the unspoken reality and subjectivity of the term success. This is Success is in the Mind, and thank you so much for watching. some scientists and say they some might say we're actually only a few years away from warming to 1.5 degrees you've now planted 43.1 million yeah. trees and yeah. that's over only a couple of years it's overwhelmingly like 95 percent of businesses just don't know what their footprints mm -hmm. are that's that's a real problem i think climate change is a, is a marketing and communications problem so, Elliot's entrepreneur activist, but it didn't all start there, did it? You were in the world of tech, IT development. Why did you come into the world of sustainability after such a long time not doing it? Sustainability, thank you, Oliver. Uh, sustainability has been around in the back of my head, loitering around, niggling away. And it's from a super early age that I really kind of clocked the scale of climate as a real challenge. And it's been festering. And while developing my skills as mm -hmm. like a technology person, I just thought, there's an opportunity here that we can do something about it. You said off air that you were speaking to your mum and one of your earliest sort of recollections of the world of sustainability and uh, in, an, in the environment was having a chat and just going, what is it to your mum? Yeah. What brought that on? And why were you so actively aware at such a young age? I, weirdly enough, don't remember many conversations from the early age. I'm an amazing mum. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I just, the only thing that really stuck into my head is my yeah. like first proper conversation where I had this back and forth of her. And I was asking this climate change thing sounds genuinely bad. And mum made mm. an amazing response to saying, you know, we've always, we've always faced challenges and we've always got through them. Mm -hmm. And that was a really lovely thing to hear, but I still went away from it going, yeah, but this one is sounding sounds really tricky. Yeah. yeah. How long ago was that then? I must've been when I was super young. Um, I don't know, maybe seven-ish. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. And you at that point decided that you might want to do something to change the world or at least change your your carbon footprint. I think it was it was more that I just I just innately understood mm. what what this meant and what this was leading to. And um, you know, as a very young age, you just think that, you know, an important topic will get eventually looked at and, yeah. you know, be given the right kind of sorted treatment. by somebody else. Sort sorted of by, yeah, sorted by people, important people, yeah. you would have thought. And um, you know, as the decades wore on, it was um, still no progress. No. And with the arrival of my daughter, I was just I just can't I just can't do my current job without doing something in this area anymore. How old was your daughter? So she's five now, five and a half, okay. and yeah, we kicked off college when we were when when she was about eighteen months old. Wow! And that was it was a terrifying time. Yeah. And if we were to do it again, I'm not sure we would do it again. There was it was on the rocks the whole thing. Like so, I started this with um, with my wife, who's my co-founder and brand. So. But our little darling daughter, my God, it was a baptism of fire and it didn't stop. She, my daughter had like a really rocky start. And so it just meant you couldn't put her down for more than one minute without right. her protesting. Exhausting. And uh, we managed to catch, uh, I said to my boss, I said, I need just like 10% of my time off. Me and my wife, we can, like there's a, with a babysitter or whatever, we're just going to go for a walk, go for a little gentle rock climb or something that we used to do. And then that very first half day off, um, we started chatting about an idea that I'd had the previous week mm -hmm. about potentially doing something for climate. And, and that idea kind of came about on your morning commute, you're getting a coffee and you kind of went, well, if this coffee's costing me three, four pounds, whatever it was, then why aren't I just putting that money into sustainability and climate change? And what if the rest of the world did exactly the same thing? And that was the kind of birth of the idea, right? Yeah, it was. It was, it was just... I calculated probably my 1200th coffee on the way to work. <laughs> and I was just like, one this day. thing, I, yeah, yeah. 
yeah uh i just i was just struck by this moment going like how many coffees i've been just chucking this money money into mm. and you know this thing that i've you know i proclaimed to be really kind of aware of not doing anything about it and then i got to my desk and then at lunchtime i was just did a little research just like how much how much climate action could you actually fund with one coffee's worth a week for example is about i don't know three pounds and I just couldn't stop, couldn't stop researching after that into the evening and days after day. Mm. And on on the on the face of it, I could offset my entire carbon footprint by funding the best climate action that you could that, that is available to fund. Um, I could also plant like maybe 12 trees a month as well on mm -hmm. top of the other climate solutions of funding too, mm -hmm. all for the cost of a coffee uh, a week. And then I think, well, one, one coffee a week, one coffee, 12 a week. trees a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's very efficient, uh, capital efficient to, to fund climate action, certainly in 2019, uh, early 2019. Mm -hmm. And it, I thought, well, this is good for me. This is a good impact that I can make. I can feel more connected to the mm -hmm. thing I'm, I'm trying to help here. But what if we reached a scale like Netflix or Spotify, mm -hmm. uh, Spotify, where there are 200 odd million paying subscribers. If we kind of times our numbers by their numbers, mm -hmm. It was it's mind boggling. It's yeah. about twenty percent, maybe thirty percent of the world's emissions re yeah. uh, re reduced or removed. Because you've, I mean, since you're twelve trees a month sort of thing, you've now planted forty three point one million <laughs> yeah. trees, and that's yeah. over only a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this time last year it was twelve million, um, and now it's forty three million, maybe thirteen million. So. Uh, and it's about 50,000, 100,000 trees a day. Wow. And every now and again, I just like to try and think about what that must be like to yeah. try and plant those 100,000 trees in yeah. a single day. Um, you know, me and my wife and the third third co-founder, um, Alex, we, we initially joked about what would that be like if we planted a million trees one day um, through what we were doing and kind of giggled a bit. You know, we didn't have that self-confidence yet, didn't have that ability to kind of have to, to see where the next subscriber would come from mm -hmm. and then but then we were on a nice track yeah 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 and what's really interesting about you Elliot is is you obviously went to Bournemouth University to study computing you went into essentially computing and IT as an individual you, you strike me as, as an introvert to a certain extent doubting yourself not thinking you can get the next sale or get that person to sign up and subscribe but yet you're doing the one thing that so many people can't do and that is changing the world mm -hmm. you know why and how did you kind of fall into it and why is it going so well so that's a really really interesting thought and i i reckon the reason that i can be as an introvert and as you understand mm. of me and it's kind of generally humble and you know sometimes you have to force the good stuff out of me because i don't like to make anyone else feel a bit shit <laughs> we'll, about we'll their job that. you know oh what well, you haven't spent for you your, your company hasn't done 40 million trees but we have like, only 20 I'd million never, that's yeah exactly <laughs> i think there's something about whether i could be the right custodian of the yeah. mission that we're on because i am highly ethical i'm this kind of normal everyday mm. person who's grounded who has what I believe is a really good moral compass. Mm -hmm. And if we have this mission to one day reduce half the world's emissions by 2040, then it deserves to have someone who can do this with heart, who can do this and can keep us on, on the straight and narrow. And so I, I feel like this is a, it's a great fit for me. I need people around me to kind of give me that confidence yeah. to just keep on going. And, um, and that, you know, confidence just does come eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously in the, in the world of IT and in the world of tech, you were, you were a contractor and it mm -hmm. took a couple of years for you to actually move into a business and actually manage a team. Again, going back to that introvert thing, managing a team, mm -hmm. not easy for most people, let alone somebody who's actually an introvert. How did you kind of cope with that transition? It was uh, good and bad. Mm -hmm. So what was good is that I felt myself, you know, for the kind of the values that I have in ethics and, you know, one, the kind of my main aim is to create a happy team that that performs well and i think google spent inordinate amounts of money finding out what a successful team looks like and it, in the end after millions of dollars spent it turns out that a happy team is the most performing uh, performant team and so i i felt natural there and i could keep on going i think as an introvert the back-to-back -back meetings um the you know as we we're talking about earlier the going out after a full day mm -hmm. and then having drinks and then in a, in a, you know obviously still talking about work afterwards yeah doing repeat 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 that is draining you know i have to look at my own 
calendar and 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 you know have those breaks you know it's always good just to kind of just be by yourself and it's strange how an introvert gets their strength from just some solitude yeah um yeah so that has been my my long-term balance that i kind of work with but it allows you to get great perspective about the problems that you might be having yeah. wherever it might be so do you do mindfulness meditation do you do things like that in terms of when coming to um, solitude with with an idea or with an issue or with something that's set to challenge you how, how do you deal with that I've thought about it a lot um, I had crippling burnout when when I was at this kind of media company when I was CTO there and I was managing about 30 35 people and our daughter turned up and there was the sleep was gone then as well and um, I was I was flat on the bed for a few weeks being so useless yeah. you know to, as, a, as a dad and as, as someone as a CTO and all sorts there's a lot of reflection and you you start to try and you know lash out or not lash out, you try anything and yeah. you know uh and as a researcher I, I, i've been i've been through that whole thing and then seen it what was interesting was when i was lying in bed burnt out um and i was doing some research so i was finding out more and more about the mind body connection and it's it, so interesting as you probably you yeah. know aware and as many of us fortunately over the last decade are becoming more and more aware um and it really it it made me think about this time at university where i just as i was having an incredible time like i just which is unusual um <laughs> you know first year or two is a bit wobbly and then i i kind of did like an internship and came back and i started doing some work and i was like ah oh, this is what the whole thing's about did a final uh, final year met my now partner um things university yeah well yeah on the kind of the year out and then yeah and it was everything was just was just fantastic and then i started well i was rock climbing a lot of the time and i thought oh god i got i really saw hands and it's harder to do kind of write thousands of lines of code a day mm -hmm. and it was getting worse and worse and then i'd read something on the internet about oh what well, the rsi is just in your wrist just you wait until it gets into your elbows mm -hmm. and then honestly the next morning it was in my elbows. I was like, whoa, this is insane. And everything was, was numb, all sorts of things. And then I was on that, I was, when I was, well, so that, I'm a researcher and I'd found that there's only a handful of people who kind of recover from RSI and, really? you know, I yeah, know yeah, long-term, um, you know, you, the mind, you know, it could be that you go for surgery and yeah. then you, you think that actually that worked for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then your body gets confidence or your mind gets confidence that this works well, the placebo effect is really strong yeah. and that can genuinely, genuinely help. Mm -hmm. Or if a really caring doctor looks after you, that can be all that your body and mind actually needs. Um, but yeah, you know, when I, when I found out for me in particular, not for everyone, but for me in particular, this RSI, RSI which I thought was a rock climbing injury, um, I was able just to kind of overcome it that night. Someone said on a forum said, just do the opposite of what you're doing. So, you know, instead of doing like fewer lines of code or no computer games, how about just stay on a computer for a few hours just to play a, a great game? Does it get worse or does it get better? Mm -hmm. And it got better. And then the is next morning, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely insane. And so uh, I went from having to research jobs that didn't involve hands because I thought my life was over uh, because of this horrible thing okay. into, um, yeah, into just getting back on track and writing lines of code in the least ergonomic way possible. Yeah. And so when I was flat on my back of the recent burnout, I, it all came flooding back. And I've just become aware of this crazy dynamic, the, the brain that is hoping to kind of secure you. And, you know, in the RSI thing, there wasn't actually anything bad in the world, externally bad. I was having a great time. Yeah. You don't often always need something bad no. to happen. And so, uh, you know, there was... It's just an understanding of the things that are at play and challenging you. Do you need more to be wrapped in cotton wool or can you take this off? Yeah. Um, and so, and so now, yeah, I've, I've been through it and I've been to the depths, but mm -hmm. I've, it's very well managed now. It's really interesting because it must be completely subjective. It won't work for everybody just to think, be better and, and no. get better. I mean, you have to be at the wits, you have to be at your wits end as well. I've tried everything else as well. That's the only bit because no one will want to be told that it's in the mind. No, no, although success is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey. No, in, ter in terms of, I totally buy into that because as, as a kid, I did a lot of homeopathy, alternative therapy. And I do believe that actually there is a strong element of 
if, if you're focused on something, it either disappears and gets better or you can do it. Mm. Where when you accept that something is going to go wrong, nine times out of ten, it does go wrong. Mm. Um, and actually, it's yes. similar, similar with, your, with your RSI. Now, interestingly, at university when you were at Bournemouth, you said that you struggled a little bit. Mm. Why did you struggle and kind of how did you cope with that? Was, was it, like, as you say, dropping out and doing an internship or what yeah. was the coping mechanism you had in place? Yeah, I, I just kind of coasted through a lot of ac academia. I didn't... Um, did you enjoy I was, only the bits outside of the academia bits, um, you know, great university experience, <laughs> um, for example. Um, yeah, probably a little too good. Um, but I was just, flo I was floating around and unattached. And honestly, I, um, I was, I was just unconnected mm. from the world at large. And as maybe as like an only child and my experiences as going through as like an introverted kind of computer game nerd and everything, I felt like I hadn't seen or connected mm -hmm. the dots enough. Um, and I was just fortunate to get an internship essentially and say, like, oh, okay, this is, hey, this is a job. I enjoy doing it. It's a bit better than my Sainsbury's job that I had previously uh, on the checkouts. And I just felt this kind of real zest and I felt driven. And, um, you know, that, that experience just, just put me onto something really fantastic. It's interesting because there's so many developers, coders, tech entrepreneurs out there that, that very much like you were an introvert, didn't necessarily enjoy university, but nevertheless, became a huge success well, after they left. I mean, you can look at Mark Zuckerberg, for one, you can look at mm. Martin, who's down the road, who runs Habu, you might have heard of Oh, yeah. Exactly the same story as you in terms of being a tech entrepreneur, but being an introvert, not really wanting to go into business for business sake, mm. but wanting to make a difference. And actually, what you've kind of done is made a business that does or focuses on sustainability quite tech orientated. Mm. The subscription model is quite innovative in terms of you've got the Netflix, you've got the Spotify, you yeah. have that model. Was that always something that you kind of pulled on that, that kind of technology background? Definitely. So the climate, in a way, you know, the science is already, as they say, clear. Mm -hmm. You know, we know how to fix the planet. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of money in the world. We need to be able to kind of connect the world, the two together. So it sounds really reductionist, but I think climate change is a, is a marketing and communications problem. You know, we're yeah. we're not getting behind what we need to be getting on with. You know, it's obviously a political consideration too. But you know, there's enough money, there's enough solutions that surely there's a way of marrying the two. Um, and I, I was it was I was doubting myself. Like you know, my background isn't environmental science and atmospheric science. You know, do I have the ability to make that transition? And now ecology is seventy five people. Over three quarters of them aren't climate backgrounds. We still need marketers. We still need communicators and you know operations people and all sorts of things. And this is what is the this is what's brilliant about working in climate is that so many people can use their skills outside of climate into the world of climate. You know, it, the there's just there's a very thin layer in the top which is just like piping money into climate action. The rest is just a tech mm -hmm. job or just a mother startup scale up essentially. What's yeah. interesting is that so many businesses now are doing what they call greenwashing, mm -hmm. where they're going, okay, we're going to plant some trees. Oh, okay, fine, we'll put some LED lights in the office and we'll have some cans of water in our fridge. Yeah. But they don't really actually care about it. They're just yeah. doing it because it's cool. You can maybe PR it and that's it. Yeah. How do you sort of weed out the wheat from the chaff, I suppose, and actually genuinely work with businesses that genuinely want to make a difference and not just go, we're doing this because we need a tick box? Absolutely. So... Funding climate solutions is there. There are enough solutions out there that if we if we fund, then we will take more carbon out of the atmosphere than we put in. So that's exciting. Um, but carbon offsets, you probably have heard of, and your audience will have too. Had a terrible history, you know, finding out that these projects failed and or you know worse than failed in some instances. It's like we felt that as a, like a founding team, if we could get to the bottom of you know, whether, you know, where are the effective projects, et cetera. And if we can convince ourselves as kind of, you know, innately cynical, like mm. we guess that maybe we could have the ability to also convince others that these are the real deal. These are actually fixing the planet. So that's how we started, you know, being able to show you the impact that you can make. The then then came the fear. There's, it's just ever, you know, which fear comes next sort of thing. <laughs> then was the fear, okay, great. So we know funding climate action works, but is this going to be misused? And so we constantly have this kind of, inter in, in ecology, have this back and forth. On one hand, everyone should be funding climate action. On the others, you know, how is it being used in particular instances? Um, and so now we've got maybe 13,000 businesses who are funding climate action now. I have... 
basically never seen any of our businesses funding climate action use this vehicle as genuinely greenwashing. Um, there might have been some that I might not have been privy to, but we do talk to a lot of our businesses and we see what they're up to and they, they tag us on their LinkedIn yeah. posts. There's, there's a lot of genuine heart, like there's a genuine want to do more. And the greenwashing thing is, is paralyzing for some businesses, you know, like, especially the larger business yeah. that you are going like, we don't know, is this going to backfire? Are we going to be called out for the thing that we're not doing? Um, and then there are some real juggernauts of businesses that, you know, do you allow them to, to turn around or do you let them kind of to crash and burn? And, you know, we, we have this kind of ethical dilemmas kind of group on our team communication channel. It is, it is rich. You know, mm. we've got this external climate committee who are made up of brilliant academics, industry experts, and, you know, they're the kind of the, you know, impartial third party. Yeah. And they say any business should be able to fund climate action. You just got to let them do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then for us as ecology, we like that. But imagine the, our brand reputation risk. Let's say the world's worst business said, oh, we've, we've funded this amount of climate action with ecology. Um, you know, <laughs> we're not going to come off well with that. Yeah. And so there's, there's a real balance. And I think we can be braver when we're a little bit older, a little bit older, and we've got more track record. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's constant and it's deep and it's, mm -hmm. it's broad, but generally speaking, businesses are looking for ways. And, um, many businesses are at the beginning of their journey. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, quite often it takes a small action to kick off another larger action. You know, yes. if you think about, I don't know, you might've done something in your garden or you might've done something where you do like a beach clean or planted a, a tree some like in your own garden and then you might feel like a real connection to that action that you've made is it going to save the planet no but then maybe there'll be that afterglow that you feel better about what you've done and you go and your eyes are slightly wider and so what else can i do what's mm -hmm. that next action so it might have been that you went in your office and you took away all the dairy milk uh, uh, like the actual you know, cow's milk and they replaced it with alt milks and then maybe it led to something else the week later. And then maybe a week after that, they might be looking into how to do a net zero strategy. Yeah. And so we're really, really encouraging of all of those small actions that they can, they can lead to something fantastic. And that greenwash brush is, is heavy. It's a bit like a wish, witch hunt at times. And, yeah. you know, we've had it pointed in our direction and pointed in different directions and it's, it's hard, but, yes. But I understand that there is real greenwashing out there too. 100%. Yeah. And so it's, it's a case by case sort of jobby. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of, I mean, you can look at using us as a case study, I suppose, in this instance, my business now, we're going through the B Corp certification program, Great. which actually I think is really, really important. And actually it's becoming more and more apparent to most things that we go for from a tender point of view or from an RFP point of view. It specifically says, are you B Corp certified? And it's almost like an ISO wow. now. It's almost like an ISO where it's a specific industry standard. Mm -hmm. You have to be. And it's interesting that the world's pivoting mm. towards that now. Yeah. Do you see a lot of people come on board and say, we're going through the B Corp certification? Yes. It used to be quite niche. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing that B Corp is, is picking up. And yeah. ultimately, a business wants a stamp mm -hmm. to be able to point to something and say, look at the thing that we've done. And it's exactly. that is, it's really, that's really uh, brutal in terms of, you know, surely businesses are, should be okay just doing it anyway without having to point to something. But that's yeah. not how a, that's not how a check's going to get signed off, you know, or a big investment of time. Like, you know, you're going through B Corp, a big investment in time to do it. Absolutely. And, you know, having that stamp when it means something is vital. We're working on our own stamp, uh, as be remiss of me to say, but B Corp is amazing for mm -hmm. keeping you to an ethical, socially responsible company. Uh, we hope that Ecology Zero Certified will be this kind of perfect kind of bedfellow that to kind of complement the on the on the climate side, essentially. You know, with B Corp and Ecology Zero side by side, we hope that those two are the kind of the minimum standard of that represent a business that's on the right side of history. So in terms of B Corp, obviously, there's an element of ethics in there, or the majority of ethics in there, whereby actually it's about employee engagement, it's about employee clarity, you know, transparency across the business. With Ecology Zero, I'm assuming it's all going to be sustainability focused, and that kind of is the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got, we're, we're opportunity rich with Ecology, and so quite my, my job is just to kind of keep us on the straight and narrow with, you know, what's our particular neck of the woods and, and climate for sure. And so 
uh, B Corp handle the ethics yeah. superbly, and we couldn't do any better. So with Ecology Zero certified, is one day, well, we're going to be launching it in next month, so that's July. Um, so when this airs, it'll be out. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So businesses don't know what their carbon footprints are by and large until unless you're of quite a large scale you know it's overwhelmingly like 95 percent of businesses just don't know what their footprints mm -hmm. are that's that's a real problem um you know the majority of the world's uh carbon pollution is locked up in in the world of commerce and, and business so how i felt that we had this big responsibility here as ecology that we could do something about this mm -hmm. for a very small business getting a carbon accountant into your business and then, you know, paying for a couple of weeks worth of work, that's a couple of thousand pounds for a micro sized enterprise. And then it's exponentially more expensive as the larger the company goes with, you know, more interesting and complicated supply chain yeah, yeah. too. We, we see a role for technology. And so what we've done with Ecology Zero is allow you to uh, automatically understand your business carbon footprint by integrating with your accounting software. Lots of businesses have accounting Smart. software. Yeah. And so every single transaction that your business uh, spends any money on, essentially, is this amazing paper trail of where your carbon emissions lie. And then the real magic comes in with the technology, which analyzes the suppliers that are involved in that transaction, gets all the right metadata and these vast carbon databases and it builds up yeah. a big picture. So that's really exciting. That's a great way of adding a lot of accuracy to carbon footprints. But the when it's automated, there's then an opportunity of actually just giving this away for free. So with Ecology Zero, we don't believe that any there should be any financial barrier at all to understanding your carbon footprint and getting on with your net zero journey. In terms of giving it away for free, then that is that's massively ethical. That's that is impressive because I thought you were going to charge for it. What what is the cost then in terms of working with Ecology to get Ecology Zero? So any business can measure the carbon footprint, understand where their emissions are, and get on to the net zero journey for free. There's a lot of R&D costs that we've put into this. And so there's right. little limitation elements, um, but you'll be able to see where the hotspots of your emissions are. You'll be able to make decisions based off it. And seeing is believing really, seeing is being able to actually make those changes that you're after. Mm -hmm. We've got Ecology Zero Premium and then Certified, which are, uh, which are paid elements, but they're, you know, we're not gonna do our job if they're gonna be out of reach for the sorts of size of businesses that we want to work with. So it's like, 50 quid a week uh, a month for small businesses and then scales up for larger ones so okay. still very doable compared to the thousand pound a year potentially that you'd be looking at and it sounds like you've got your business model kind of sorted now you, you know what you do you know where you're going you've raised a lot of money and we'll go into that bit in a minute but when you started it in 2019 you you were a non-for-profit non essentially so you know great idea nice and ethical good morals there charity based non-for-profit i get it yeah. you're not that anymore why did you decide to change from non-for-profit to profit over the course of the last yeah. couple of years? Yeah, I mean, our, you know, I'm not in it for the money. No one that started the team was in it. We're, we're here genuinely to, to help solve this big problem with the planet. And it made sense that we're, you know, as structured as a non-profit, it's, it's an altruistic thing. Um, it'd be great if I create security for my own family, you know, mm -hmm. as, a, as a dad, that's the kind of stereotypical thing that I, I think about that lots of others do. Yeah. But we... It, it didn't take long to realize that nonprofits and charities, their scaling is on a different level, on a smaller level to the likes of, if you think of like when Uber arrived and Airbnb arrived, it, it just arrived overnight almost, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. And those are venture backed capital, uh, venture backed companies essentially yes. invest, you know, where you raise investment ahead of you generating the revenues that you're looking to get in two years time, for example. Yes. And that, and you think about climate and our dwindling carbon budget, mm. you know, you can talk to some scientists and say that some might say we're actually only a few years away from warming to 1.5 degrees. And it's like, a handful of years. We need that kind of rampant scale opportunity that you get from the kind of the what you think of Silicon Valley style companies yeah. to be able to happen now. And that was that's what clinched it. So we're yes, yeah, so we've had to form as a for profit, yeah. um, which feels really against our better judgment yeah so what we've been doing and my role is i'm you know i kind of joke to myself that i'm kind of chief ethics officer because if i'm technically running a for-profit company i have to align as much as we possibly can to the world of non-profit 
So now our margins are, you know, uh, you know, on average about eighteen percent overall in terms of we keep eighteen percent and twenty, no, eighty-two percent gets spent on climate action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think about most nonprofits or charities, their margins are around forty percent, maybe fifty percent, and so we still can do, in theory, a, you know, a lot more for our, our cause, mm-hmm. you know, in this category. Before we get back to the podcast, I wanted to ask you, are you a high-growth startup or an ambitious entrepreneur? Our headline sponsors, Capsule Cover, are the perfect insurance specialists if you are geared for high growth. Here at Pinpoint Media, we use Capsule Cover for all our insurance. So if you're an ambitious, high-growth startup, why not reach out to them via CapsuleCover.com? Coming up in this episode, are you an entrepreneur or an activist? Really hard to get excited about a a methane digester that gets added onto a landfill site that sucks up the waste methane and converts into renewable energy. Cool for the nerds, but you know. That wasn't scripted, I can promise you. (laughs) (laughs) That is all to come in this episode of Successes in the Mind. And when, because when you went and started it then, you were funding it yourself as a non-profit, right? So you were putting your own, I'm assuming your own cash in there to try and get it somewhere. How long did you have the business or the, I should say, charity then Mm. until you kind of ran out of cash and had to get, because you went to General Catalyst essentially, who had invested in Deliveroo, Snapchat, Airbnb, which you named earlier. And you got 4 million quid from them. Mm. But before that, it was all your own money. When did you run out? Uh, Yes. So it was... So kept the day job for as, as long as possible. Um, and, you know, someone who's a bit of a, a, a connoisseur of burnout, that was quite a problem, quite hard. And um, we, we just kept, we just made it work as long as possible. My, my mum had a, has a friend and um, she, she just really bought into what we, what we were seeing. And, you know, she inherited some money that she didn't need. And there was 15 grand that we were able to, to kind of get started with. And, you know that that was just the kind of just enough just yes. enough to kind of get us whirring for about six months and then we um we actually met a like an angel investor who was about you know nine months onwards and uh he was trying to build his own version of what we were doing essentially and, and we saw eye to eye and um i felt like oh, i was like i'm not sure who this guy is it sounds like you know not kind of our sort of people, you know, Mayfair background right. and, you know, kind of uh, investment banker and all sorts of things. And my first judgment of him was just like, not sure he comes with some money, like, should we be doing this? And then he was just absolutely perfect. He is possibly the kind of the biggest influence that we've had, like moral compass is incredible. Very, very different, very different backgrounds. But he kept us going, yes. kept, you know, gave us that confidence to the next steps. And so, yeah, we're really indebted to this, this chap. Was that, was that before you got the four million quid? Yeah, so, exactly. A year before that, four million quid. So you had 15k from your mum's friends. Yeah. You then met this, this gentleman, Philip. Philip. Yeah. Um, what did he put in then? It was about 200 grand, 300 grand. So 200 grand. So you, yeah. you'd had, you know, let's just say, shall I call a million quid in the business. Mm-hmm. Kept you going for a year. Mm-hmm. Why did you think four million pounds was the right amount of money? Good question. So um, we were getting excited. We, you know, things were on on the up and um, we could, it, we we felt confident mm-hmm. for once. It would go like, you know, we, yes, we can do that million trees that we were talking about mm-hmm. and we can, we can take it much further. And... We yeah we we got we got the ball rolling and we just started to have a good good time with it. Um, it and then you go on the roadshow, the kind yeah, of the yeah. fundraise roadshow, lots of conversations. Um, it's it's a bit like what you might have seen on TV or depicted. You know, you get the grilling and all sorts, and um, that was a real life experience. But you know, really, it was through hard work of meeting people and meeting people and getting recommendations. And we just got a bit of a lifeline, really. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, General Catalyst, as you mentioned, you know, they do do the overnight success sort of stuff by getting everything wearing. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, four million pounds was, was going to cover 18 months of the, kind of the high growth path that we that we w- wanted to set out. So you've got 18 months worth of burn rate and four million quid. Yeah. What are you spending that money on? Yeah. What I mean is it staff, yeah. offices, brand. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, it's it's staff and it's marketing. Okay. Um, you know, I'd I'd love to say that you can just hire people from amazing people, amazing places where they're getting paid exceptionally well. 
but then they take a bit of a cut because they're doing it for the planet. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really wash. Um, they're still looking to do their own kind of security at home sort of thing. You yeah. know, they've got their own family. Maybe they're people they're, they're looking after their parents. They're not sure about. And you know, there are, you know, you're doing a good thing, which I found quite a lot of in any circumstance. Yeah. Just because you're doing a good thing, that doesn't necessarily mean there are those shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. And then there's marketing spend. What was interesting about marketing spend is it was it was great. It was we had a good time spending a lot of money, and then I bet oh, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like woo, we can do some really really cool it's much stuff. Much more fun spending someone else's yeah. cash. But something that happened over the last the last few months, and we our relationship with how we were going to grow, or my understanding of how we we're going to grow, was about spending money through marketing. You know what? And it wasn't paying off like it used to. And we started using money as a bit of a sticking plaster. And over the last few months, it's just like, oh, shoot, I've, you know, we're our growth is locked in to spending money. And over the last few months, it's about I've I brought it back home. You know, you know, let's let's slow down again. Uh, let's look at, under the microscope of increasing that value exchange for the end mm -hmm. person or business that's using what we're doing. You know, we're very kind of values led and, you know, we know that when we invest in our values, then, you know, amazing creative kind mm -hmm. of genuine stuff starts to happen. But, you know, we'd, we'd come away from that and it was interesting, you know, money stopped working like it should have. And it kind of came to a bit of a head and, you know, it's been really, really refreshing recently, just taking stock and going like, what's the kind of core stuff that makes this different, makes us, makes us, you know, unashamedly ecology. Mm -hmm. And that's been, I've personally been feeling just so much better about what we're doing and our, where we are next layers of growth is going to come from just by being us and kind of getting to our core. But what's interesting, Elliot, is that you have worked all this out yourself kind of thing. You said that you took a step, step back and you looked at where you were spending the money and it wasn't working, but you, that's not your background. You've never done any of that. Mm. How did you know where to put that four million quid, when to pull some of that back, when not to put it on A and put it on B instead? Mm. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to surround yourself with brilliant people, lots of diverse voices and um, having that kind of external uh, sight when you're, when you're really close to it, it's really hard, you know, but as an introvert and being able to take time away, yeah. you know, um, you know, I, the best thing I did last Christmas was take about three weeks off. I needed it. And then I came back. It's like, Oh, I see everything that I need <laughs> to do now. Um, it was fascinating. Probably the, the three weeks off is probably the most valuable thing, the decision yeah. that we'd had. I think, you know, I do have good ethics and moral compass, uh, but I do have an ability to see the direction that we should be should be heading. Obviously, it comes to light when you have those bumps in the road, and you know it's it's about taking stock. And we've you, you've got the we we could have just carried on in lots of different circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I always look fondly back on those moments to go and go. I'm I'm glad we did something about that. And we changed it up and yeah. changed the gear. Um, um, give me an example of one of those, because obviously you were incredibly drained when your daughter was born because you were running multiple yeah. different things. But from a business standpoint, when you went, right, let's change that up a notch, down a notch, left, right. Yeah. Give me an example of that. Ah, just on, on a slightly different tack, but a little, there's a little similar, there's a little similarity to mm. There was, in our first year, we wanted to, so COP26 was maybe kind of a, a we were almost 12 months old and the kind of the climate conference was coming up yeah, yeah. and um actually it was postponed. yeah actually yeah. so it was our first year because yeah. it was but it was postponed for basically a year so it was still year one and we were wondering about how could we get ecology's name out there fast mm -hmm. like really really quick um rather than being incremental we got started excited about what about if we ran because the climate conference cop 26 up in glasgow yeah, yeah. it's gonna be very political very corporate you know how, could we run a conference that is like the kind of the authentic voice of, of I don't know, that kind of embody the human response to climate change. It's like, oh God, we could run our own kind of virtual um, climate conference. And it just started going bad. Um, in the end, we had about 140 speakers. It was like Glastonbury. Wow. Um, we had Prince Charles opening it. It was incredible. You had Prince Charles on it? Really? <laughs> it was insane. That was like a, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Yeah. Wow. Um, and... We looked and it was it was great. Don't get me wrong, 
But we spent, it was like, anyway, we just spent about four minutes not building our product, not investing in the kind of the core value exchange. Um, you know, we look back on it going like, we got to just, just take some time, just invest in what the, what the end user or the end customer is going to be wanting from you. That it's, it's so easy to just kind of like get excited, go chasing and then, and then run off. And these, mm -hmm. this tiny team who is on obviously just impact, we were running, we were building an events website and a ticketing thing and all the integrations. And there was like multiple live stages and all sorts of stuff. I was like, I was like what are we doing here? <laughs> um, and, but after that, it makes you go like, right, okay. Let's not do that again. Yeah. You know, let's spend this time with like a moratorium on anything new. Yeah. Let's just build something really decent. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good bump in the road. And the only other thing I can really think of is just this bump in the road. Like I was saying earlier, where you think that doing something for good or for climate, you should get like a free pass. You know, for example, legal challenges. I was thought, well, no one's going to really want to do cease and desist and, and shut us down because we're trying to do something good for the planet. But mm -hmm. uh, we were getting our trademark for ecology. This is all sorted now. But for about nine months, it looked like we're going to have to shut up shop. Um, really? Yeah, there was a, can't go into the details, but there was a, there was a company, a little, little similar-ish sounding word, but nowhere near it um, <laughs> in my mind. And, um, but from a completely different industry, imagine one of the trickiest industries that you could or diametrically opposite and right. you know yeah. they wanted to shut us down because they're worried about people would be confused with thinking we were them and, and vice versa and it just wasn't going to happen and then we were the thing about the trademark system is that you you're on the back foot if you're if you've got a new trademark coming then the incumbent has has real power there um and you know we some 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 clever legal stuff towards the end and just on the 11th hour we managed to get it sorted out but we'd we'd only really just changed our name we mm -hmm. originally we were originally called officer earth and we, you know, yeah 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 so in, within our first year we we're called officer earth and we found that well offset was probably was too narrow it wasn't giving us the kind of the right remit we're planting trees which isn't offsetting anything anytime soon <laughs> we're, we're doing all sorts of other things and they are doing the offsetting and um and then it wasn't very international sounding mm -hmm. and all sorts of things so that wiped us out for ages coming up with have you ever tried to change a name or anything is horrible i've done trademarking and i have yeah. done that and it does take time and is yeah. a, as you said a massive training yeah. yeah so we just got changed and then uh changed the name and then we had a wobble with our new name but Fortunately, all under the fridge. Well, Ecology is a superb name. And in terms of how you came up and ideated that, was that was that you? Did you spend money on a marketing agency, yes. branding agency? What did that look like? Oh, wow. It looked horrendous. Um, <laughs> I uh, hats off to our fourth co-founder, Ian, and he did us a solid. So for about three months, every single shower cycle or every time I closed my eyes, I was rattling off other names. I was like, no, that's rubbish, that's shit. I was just like, oh, that isn't us. And my God, you know, every board meeting, every leadership, every pub uh, chat, it was just names. <laughs> Trying to get something like a decent .com, which is almost impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a good name that represents what we're doing, a .com available, a trademark that's viable, although, you know, still rocky. Um, <laughs> it was just all of these combined. And then I'd honestly, I'd given up. I know, what what you know, names did you have? I had a lot of resolve. Oh my god! I'd love to publish the list. You know, I can I think of any. It was it was a bit of post traumatic kind of period of time. <laughs> that kind of like we need a freaking name here. It was bonkers. It was absolutely bonkers. But what happened? So Ian, God bless him. Late night, one night, just whops at me. Said ecology.com was available. Ten thousand pounds. Not insignificant. I was like, nah, it's just, it's just shit like all the others. And I woke up the next morning going like, oh, that's all pretty good because we really do love the natural planet. We love the two for one uh, deal you get when you fund, when you support natural climate solutions, you're helping our climate problem, but also helping the massive biodiversity loss problem. Yeah. And it's a real part of what we do. I thought, like, oh, it's pretty good. And is we over the weeks, you, you, 
you become worse and worse and worse at seeing where the actual good options were. Yes. God bless him. And yeah, we, we went after him, went after it and, and got it locked in. There's a level of irony. You can't see the wood for the trees, I suppose. Oh, in a very situation good. Like that. That wasn't scripted, I can promise you. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. In terms of how you actually prove to your customers, clients, you know, team members, whatever you want to term them, how do you show how much money goes into it? Because it's all well and good saying that 18% is our net margin, mm. but actually, they don't know. They can't. Yeah. They can't pull back and go. Oh, it is actually. It could be that you're taking more, with the greatest respect. Absolutely. Yeah. So, being when you're a non-profit or a charity, you have to publish everything and is audited. So, that's what we. What that's what we miss. That's the big deal. Um. And so, what we've been doing ever since is what we call radical transparency, where we publish everything that we possibly can uh, on this kind of big. It's a big spreadsheet, basically. Mm. It's our, we call it our public ledger. It's got everything, all of our transactions and receipts. Um, I did got, see that on the website, the yeah. FAQs, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's got our financials. It's got um, it's got our board meeting minutes, and uh, it's got whenever we've taken a plane anywhere, which is only a handful of times, um, needs must. And it, any anything that we feel that we that we sh that anyone else should know that you should know, and that that's become our bit of. You know that's where we've grown to a little notoriety there's so much hesitancy around climate or like mistrust mm -hmm. um that we've we've turned it into a bit of our own opportunity if we can kind of break down that wall with radical mm -hmm. uh, with radical transparency we could be onto something for example we run these kind of open zoom uh zoom meetings now where i just hang out on a zoom meeting for half an hour or an hour and then anyone can just jump on any members of the public or uh or some of our largest customers or individuals, and they can just pepper me with questions. And um, I can just answer just straight straight off just to say, often, you know, there's an opportunity for us to really listen and see what sorts of things that are on people's minds. Mm. But I love the idea that I will always be incredibly approachable, that you can ask it anything, because one day you'll see someone might see a, a news headline that says, you know, one trillion trees can save the planet. And then a week later, it could say, no, one trillion trees can't save the, save the planet. And maybe even worse headlines. And they'd be like, uh, Elliot, I've read this thing. Like, <laughs> I need some assurances yeah. here on this one. Um, and so, yeah, we're looking at ways that we can keep on lifting the lid. You know, we're even kind of toying with the idea of like, could I just literally live stream my day? Is that just insane? But Just shove a camera up there. Yeah, just... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going yeah, on? Yeah, absolutely. Because the mistrust is is major. And if yes. I can do a lot about that, then um, then our mission just becomes so much easier. That's really interesting. And in, in terms of when you kind of go for funds, for instance, and you've crowdfunded some more money and I get that. Mm. But in terms of the initial fund, the investors, so um, General Catalyst, mm. they'll want a return. So yeah. they'll, in theory, correct me if I'm wrong, but want as much margin as possible so that they get their money back tenfold. Yes. So how do you deal with that from yeah. an ethical point of view? That's really good. And why we went with General Catalyst in the end, they're not a sustainability fund, um, but they they asked all the questions that warmed my heart. They said their main thing was, how do we see that we're going to be able to balance the kind of profit and purpose as mm -hmm. we continue scaling? And um, they're ex exceptionally supportive of everything that I was saying. What's interesting is there's a there's a safety mechanism mm. of taking enough profit or taking too much money out of the business uh, starts to damage your mission. You know, when you set the bar high for transparency, you know, there's not much room to hide. Um, when there's a benchmark of what is an okay thing to do, you know, you can't just take 50% margin and expect, you know, businesses and individuals to be fine with that. Ultimately, if we're going to achieve our grandiose mission, our kind of worthy mission, it will be because we'll have balanced the, or towed the right line. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of self, I hope, I hope, I really hope it's self-correcting because when, let's say I dropped off face of a cliff and a profit hungry CEO was installed, it's going to be difficult for them to grow an ethical, altruistic, yeah, yeah. purpose-led business with without reneging or compromising on a, on quite a few fundamental areas mm -hmm. and so you know i've set a buy the bar high and you know it, it's going to look shady yeah. when when you pull all that away yeah and so that's how i feel that could be quite heartening you know we've got things like mission lock and our kind of right. articles of association it's kind of a, we're legally a social enterprise we have to be doing good for the planet and that can't change and all sorts really? there's lots of levers and dials within that um, i'm not going to pretend that it's you know kind of ironclad but 
the ultimately consumer power is is important and yeah. when you combine consumer power with radical transparency it, it doesn't leave much room to hide essentially no. and it's just what, what strikes me as interesting is when you went for your next fund your 3.6 million pound crowd fund mm. so you asked the public to give you the money a why didn't you go to general catalyst and b that gave you a 75 million quid valuation that's a huge amount of cash why not jump ship take the cash go and do something else you know why did you carry on yeah. grafting trying to change the world when actually money hungry entrepreneurs might go thank you yeah, uh, interesting one. And on the crowdfund was was great for us because you could just go to another investor and ask yeah. for more money. But crowdfund means that um, also in the kind of self uh, or the safety mechanisms. And I was talking about you know how, being part owned by our community is amazing. You know if if our four percent you gave away was four yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds small, but actually the more you know about equity and on a larger companies, that's actually a pretty decent chunk of, you know, my equity isn't much larger than something like that, for example. Really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've got, we've got buckets of co-founders and- do you, And do you let, give options when they, to, to new members yeah. of staff as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're fully diluted. Yeah, exactly. So uh, crowdfunders, part of it, and, you know, we're, we're part staff owned, yeah, yeah. you know, employee owned. And, you know, wouldn't it be amazing when one day, you know, that's more than 50% owned by, you know, the people and the companies who are supporting us. So this is this is a really good thing for an, like an ethical business. I'd, yeah, yeah, I'd say everyone should be doing it. Why would you stay, stay with the company is, um, is one, it's, you know, some investors I've been speaking to is, you know, a bit worried about, you know, the amount of equity that any individual owns because there are so many co-founders essentially, you know, surely you're not that attached to this company because you could just jump off, you could do something else and then have 100% ownership, for example. Exactly. But there's no, there's, you know, we're, um, what is harder to convey is that we're not doing it for the money and um, it's, it's really difficult. As we get more successful, I will have a bigger responsibility to say that it's not for the money. At some point, when I'm sure that my family is kind of taken care of, I hope to be able to say, actually, all of my equity or, you know, as much as I can afford is um, betrothed to like a non-profit foundation, you know, and like be able to kind of publish salaries and all sorts of things to be able to say, okay, so this guy legitimately is, there is no vehicle of getting the cash into him. Yeah, not some sort yeah. of back of the fag packet SPV that takes it out so that you yeah. can actually be transparent, I suppose. And in terms, yeah. in, in, in terms then of the 50% employee owned or community owned. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a huge amount of equity to give away. That is a, that's a person of significant control first and foremost. Mm -hmm. They could surely have a massive vote of no confidence, vote to change, they could mm -hmm. do anything mm -hmm. and you wouldn't be able to say no. Yeah, so, so it's, how it's interesting. So yeah, so the kind of, the with crowdfund, the, the voting rights are different because you're through this kind of larger vehicle. And so it, there's a little bit more limited and also the founding team has kind of preferential voting rights at the moment. So you've got different options. Yeah, absolutely. In truth, we'll work this out and we've got, we've got options as you just said. So we'll work this out when we're a little bit older, you know, what's the right balance, you mm -hmm. know, investors, as you were saying, looking to a, a return on investment, investors, you know, generally have, you know, great rights when it comes to helping um, kind of steer the ship mm -hmm. essentially. So, you know, Investors will be looking for the return on investment, but you know that is still aligned to hopefully our, our emissions. So, yeah. for example, you've got for me two main routes. It's great you've got General Catalyst and other investors investing some money. You know that that'll start to max out at around two hundred million pounds, for example. But it, it's it's insane to think, but one day that won't be enough. And you'll be looking to the kind of the very largest companies like Microsoft, for example, mm -hmm. you know, they are made, they're big in the climate world now and they are big and deep, you know, deep pocketed. It could be that one day we find like a ethically aligned company who is able to deploy the seriously big numbers, enable it to actually get us to to, to one day to one place they were after mm -hmm. or you know you can go public as they say go on the stock market and then the investors get their money back through that and then what's quite neat about that is then you genuinely are publicly owned but yeah you know that's that's his own kind of world and this kind of sea of tumultuous activity that would be fascinating if you went public though if it you would. ipo'd i think that would be really really interesting because surely yeah. it'd be one of the first ever yeah sustainable businesses or yeah. sustainably focused business to do that yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it can it'd be totally un unprecedented. Yeah. There are no billion dollar companies right. who have gone public like that. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it's very well aligned with long, long term goals. What's difficult is the short termism of, of public markets, of course. Yeah. You know, chasing the, each quarter is difficult. And we're in, rea in reality in that we're seeing growth isn't isn't continual it's it's kind of huge steps plateau and major step up mm -hmm. plateau and major step up and it makes me think geez you know imagine chasing down quarterly profits every uh you know every other well every three months it's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting one and honestly it's something that we've got to learn about it's not been done before it sounds like a nice idea you've seen other companies like fighting back from being public and to gain control. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not my area of forte either. No, so we'll it, would be, it. it would be fascinating. You know, I, I know very, very little about IPOs as well, but I do think that would be an amazing story if you ever got mm. that far. Do you think yeah. that would genuinely on the horizon in the next couple of years, or is that something that's just idealistic and yeah. maybe out of reach? It, it's every, every month and week that goes on, it, it feels more, more that, yeah, that the next step is, is, is closer and closer, um, you know, I didn't think that we'd be here planting a hundred thousand trees a day or near to that. You know, it could be soon a million or like a daily a day, you mm -hmm. know, and then to a billion a day and all sorts of climate action that we fund. And mm -hmm. there's yeah, there's it's you know, you can probably getting the fact that I'm generally humble. Um and passionate. Yeah. And you know, but I, I think we've got this amazing team yeah. uh, who's who who can who can do a good job of what we're setting out to achieve. So but I it, hope so. But it isn't just planting trees though, is it, Elliot? It's, you don't just plant 100,000 trees and that's that and it grows from there. There's solar, there's wind, there's multiple different things that ecology yeah. supports. How do you split where the money goes and what the right program to put it into is? So the trees are where people are passionate, you know. It's, is that because it's tangible and they get yes, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. Really hard to get excited about a a methane digester that gets added onto a landfill site that sucks up the waste methane and converts into renewable energy. Cool for the nerds, but you know, it's, I get it's not something for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the, the trees are a bit like a, a gateway climate yeah. solution yeah. and, you know, gets, gets you interested, gets you passionate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and these trees, they're going to, we're going to need to give them some time to, to grow. Yeah, We've yeah. just gone in the ground and um, they're not doing any of our offsetting. We never use them in our calculations, for example, for how much carbon reduction uh, that we've been certified to do. You know, behind the scenes, we fund maybe about 30 different climate, well, certainly climate projects mm -hmm. a year. There's probably a dozen different climate solutions like this methane biodigesters, clever, innovative stuff, um, renewable energy, wind, solar, yeah. uh, etc. Some amazing other projects like that. There are these great community projects, which sounds uh, like a few steps away from impacting climate, but when you kind of do go through it, it becomes really engrossing. For example, we like to fund, um, well, just a bit of context. So I think it's about a billion or over a billion families in the world that cook their food and boil their dirty water from dirty water uh, uh, from dirty sources um, on like an open fire and that's really inefficient so you have to do a lot of cutting down trees of the local area um, to kind of get that firewood uh, convert into charcoal and then and then you're burning um, yes. but we, we we fund these projects which essentially requisition or kind of recycle these old uh, cooking oil drums yeah. and then turn them into kind of these really fuel efficient cooking stoves. And then those get distributed. There's a lot less deforestation in the area and there's a lot less air pollution, uh, you know, atmospheric yeah. carbon. The air pollution thing is really interesting as well because air pollution is like the number one killer for under five-year-olds worldwide. Is it? And so if you're, t if you're using 50%, maybe 60% less wood that you're burning, there's that same amount of less um, indoor air pollution. And it's a really big deal. So we like to fund a huge range of climate solutions. My background yeah. isn't environmental or, or atmospheric science. We have uh, this external climate committee. There are about 15 industry academics and experts and they, they I, you know, it's really reductionist, but they basically come up with a giant pie chart. They say you should be funding 20% into here, reforestation, right. protecting existing forests, you know, accelerating uh, transition to uh, clean energy and mm -hmm. all sorts of things. And they help, you know, audit and understand our projects that we fund too. So, yeah, we've got the right, right people on it. But you're going to need to have 66,000 members to offset 1% of Germany. Hmm. Okay. Quite yeah. Lots. Yeah, so that's interesting. Where have you done your numbers? 
Really? Websites. Okay, nice. Okay, that, our team must have done that. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so if you think about 66,000, sounds like a lot, but actually if you think about Netflix at 230 million paid subscribers mm -hmm. as, as at the time of, of talking, I mean, those are just absolutely unbelievable numbers. And, you know, and why not have a climate subscription that mm -hmm. can reverse climate change? And so we should be able to get there. And, you know, we talked about our trees. We don't, we don't like to really count them in, in the impact that they're making. But Oops. over, let's say, between five and 15 years, they will be having an impact. So right now, we've in certified carbon reductions, we've, we've funded around 1.9 million tons of carbon reductions. That's about 6 million barrels of oil not burned, wow. which is which is awesome. Significant. Which is really awesome. So that's through funding those sorts of climate solutions I just talked about that weren't about planting trees. But if you include the growth of our trees, factoring in about 10 years worth of growth, for example, or even, even more, um, they start to add up into, into a really big deal. And so, when you when you project those emissions, uh, carbon reduction, sorry, with the other climate solutions, then that's about 0.2% of all the UK's carbon footprint at the moment. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, that's a really big deal for a tiny company, you know, just a three-year-old company, you know, with 30-odd thousand members, essentially. So, you know, times 30,000, well, you do the kind of the maths to kind of scale up to 230 million uh, subscribers of the Netflix kind of territory. Mm -hmm. It's exciting. And so... It's practical. The economics will get wobbly at the end of the spectrum. Can you really plant a billion trees a day? That mm -hmm. sort of thing. One of our leading tree planting partners is already doing about 10 million a day. Um, they were invested recently by uh, Jeff Bezos's uh, fund to, okay. with a mandate to plant a billion trees responsibly. Oh, so you can fly more rockets. Exactly. Offset yeah. with rocket fuel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, yeah. But it sure does have the billions of pounds of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he does. Yeah. But in, in terms of potential partnerships, why is there not a partnership with Netflix where every subscriber on Netflix, two pounds goes to Ecology? Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Love to get then, that set up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is there yeah. those kind of synergies that you're looking at doing or is it wholly yeah. you guys on your own? Yeah. The partnerships are an amazing opportunity to kind of like really shortcut you know, to be able to stand on the shoulders of, mm. of of their audiences that they've been building up for maybe 10 years, 20 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we do lots of interesting avenues. There's um, there's there's lots of different ways. Like what just popped into my head just then was a was this really neat game. Um, do you know the game um, called Monument Valley? It's on the kind of uh, iPhone and it's this beautiful little mm -hmm. puzzle platform explorer. And it... Um, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of, uh, hundreds of millions of kind of downloads at some, or maybe tens of million mm -hmm. downloads or whatever. It's a bonkers numbers. Anyway, that studio then made this similar game, but it's about this kind of lovely girl who I think was based on Greta Thunberg. Oh, yes. And she is kind of going, it's called, the game's called Alba, taking photos of wildlife in the air. But every app download meant the planting a tree. And, you That's know, lovely. app's been out for not very long and it's planted over a million trees. It, it was just so light touch but so nicely aligned that it feels just very practical and so businesses are finding lots of ways of integrating you know doing something decent mm -hmm. with um with climate action it could be like they win a contract and they say um you know let's say they're an agency they win a contract and they they plant ten thousand trees based on the scale of the contract that they've won mm -hmm. or they could uh gift some trees to all their employees and they might have twenty thousand employees mm -hmm. gift like a little starter package of, you know, their little mini forest. And then these 20,000 employees would then kind of then have their subscription if they wanted to carry on. So there's lots of interesting ways of working with these other kind of stalwarts mm -hmm. of, you know, the kind of the big names out there. Yeah, I hope to be doing far more of it. Are you an entrepreneur or an activist? I'm an, I'm an armchair environmentalist who's got a, who's, who's seen a, a viable future that we can get behind. Um, that an, act, an activist, I think of as someone who is out on the streets, putting the real hours in, you know, disrupting their busy day's schedule to do something really extraordinary. Um, an entrepreneur is someone who can really clearly see the the future of, of, of an opportunity and a problem to be solved. So I do, I can, I can do that bit. Um, the armchair environmentalist to me is is being able to understand what we need to do. We need to be able to solve 
climb it at the tap of a few buttons mm-hmm. it sounds horrible but that's where we're at really you know people are looking after themselves and you know looking after their own stress levels or whatever they might be you know into and you know i can use my innate kind of like i'm i'm not i'm not going to be out in the streets no. I've, I've done it a few times it's incredible that they can put that kind of time in or you know spend yes. 12 hours on a train to get to the other end of the country to yes. put in a protest that's incredible so I kind of using my kind of natural skills there, I I feel like an entrepreneur now. And, you know, I feel like you know, it's been all the while having a hesitancy, but it's exciting, you know. But could I apply what I know into a different area? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm just guided by this this uh, clear view of, of what we need to be doing here. Maybe we should trademark activepreneur. Maybe Ooh. maybe that should be the hybrid between entrepreneur and activist. Yes, yeah. very nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> and more to them, you know, and uh, pop, popping a name on it can actually be, you know, can catalyze mm-hmm. something really fantastic. And anyone, I'd really urge anyone who is thinking about climate because that climate anxiety is real. Yeah, it you is. You know, I'm not profess to be one like a person who say it keeps me up at night it made me made me really think deeply about whether we should have children or whether we have, should have a second child those are the times when i get my climate anxiety i've seen i've seen the hope and i've seen the future or i've seen a vision of the future that looks looks very prosperous but yeah yeah um but anyone who's feeling not so great about the future i'd urge them to get into the area that they're not feeling great about. So if it's about climate using that skills, they probably had, you know, through whatever they've been doing at the moment, it's extremely likely that those skills would be needed in broadly in this area. And I felt instantly better about my own personal contribution, as you can obviously imagine, but I felt better on day one, mm-hmm. even be- even when we celebrated 1000 trees were planted, that it doesn't need to be about big numbers. Yeah. It just means that you're connected to the thing that you're working on. So if we want to come on the journey with ecology, go through the journey onto the billion pound valuation, or just make a massive change in the world as it currently stands, mm. how can we get involved in ecology and how can we do ecology zero? Very nice. So we've got, we've got a couple of different angles. Um, ecology zero certified is, de- uh, ecology zero is definitely something to be checking out because if you run a small to medium sized business, uh, you, you can just start to know where your emissions are and where, where, where they lie. Um, that's a really fascinating mm. area. And maybe you're not ready for that yet. And we have this thing called a climate positive workforce, which just offsets the emissions of all your employees. It's like a monthly subscription. How it's, much is that? Depending on it, the Yeah, it's about employees. six or seven pounds a month. And then if you've got some frequent flyers, it's more expensive than that. It's really, really low, low key, low cost. It's like 0.1% of your staff budget. So, you know, we'd like to think that any business should be able to get this kind of rung on the ladder. Yeah, come check us out. Ecology with an I at the end instead of a Y. Boom. Elliot, I love it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Oliver. It's been fantastic. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not listen to a few more and click subscribe? This podcast was produced by Pinpoint Media, and I'm Oliver Bruce. I hope we can speak again soon. Take care.